Well, good morning. It is a joy, an honor to be here with you. Uh, thank you, Pastor Clee, for your um, invitation. Um, uh, honestly, um, it, it was uh, such a great time that we uh, spent with Pastor Cliff in Honduras uh, under his teaching. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's always um, uh, interesting um, that when you uh, <clears throat> are translating, you get to preach your own message. So Pastor Cliff thought he was teaching on Genesis. I, I taught on Jonah. So that was, yeah. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, um, it's always a, a, a joy to see that you can go anywhere in the world and you will find real uh, blood brothers and sisters in Christ. You are my blood brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet that's just amazing. By the blood of Christ, we are in a family. And it's, uh, again, a blessing to be here. I bring you greetings from Iglesia Biblica La Roca in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Um, and again, I just feel right at home. Uh, we will, uh, today we will be um, uh, learning about Christian maturity and how to grow in Christian maturity. And there is, that is something that we need today. We have uh, so many churches that, that are full of children running around. It seems uh, that uh, uh, because of that, you have to take care of diapers, you know, in the, in the church, and uh, uh, and we need just uh, to um, understand what the Lord uh, wants from us to grow up as Christian believers. So we will be studying Philippians, um, and I heard that you spent some time, so some some time studying the Book of Acts. So uh, maybe you will remember uh, something about. Uh, the church at Philippi, uh, and the establishment of that church. Uh, it was in Paul's second missionary journey, and that marked the entrance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into Europe. And it's described in Acts chapter 16, verses 12 through 40. So the dignity of the, uh, uh, uh of the Philippians, you know, uh, of the city as a Roman colonia. A colony, a Roman colony, is mentioned in Acts 16, verse 12. And it is very important uh, uh, for the background of this epistle. So years have passed by. And Paul uh, is now in uh, his Roman imprisonment. And the church at Philippi, they wanted to know more about his situation. There was no Skype by the time. There was no FaceTime. So they sent Epaphroditus to learn about their missionary. And we are in a missionary weekend, a missionary week, you know, and it's always good to know how the missionary is doing. So they wanted to know, well, he's imprisoned. We want to know how he's doing. So then they sent Epaphroditus to learn about him. And and uh, uh, the, uh, the apostle Paul, uh, Paul writes this uh, letter to them, uh, and he sends it as words of encouragement. In the midst of their trial, their trials, you know, words of encouragement. And we see that in chapter one. Uh, but in chapter two, he starts appealing to maintain uh, the unity 
following the example of Christ himself. That's what we see in chapter 2. And he encourages them to be a good testimony in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And now we get to chapter 3, where uh, it seems... It seems he will be closing the letter. If you see chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren. Okay, finally, my brethren. So you know by personal experience, when a preacher says, Finally, my brethren, that means he'll take another half an hour. You know. So guess who started with this? It was the Apostle Paul. He said, finally, my brethren, and then he he writes for two more chapters. Okay, so there's where you get your finally. Um, So Paul says, finally, my brethren, and uh, uh, now he gives us in chapter 3, he's, he's, uh, we would call like autobiography, autobiography. Uh, And you know, um, I love biographies. We've been reading, we read... um, uh, with my family during the mornings, we read a uh, uh, scripture, and at night time before going to bed, we would read a biography. And we've been reading some biographies that we just love, you know, love to see. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So what was what was what was that time or or that thing that made these people like bloom, you know? Uh, grow. What was it? What was, what's the ingredient? And we read the biographies and we just love to see how the Lord, you know, takes in his providence, these people to, to, uh, uh, situations where they would grow. So we would hear, we will hear today, uh, part of this autobiography of the apostle Paul. <clears throat> and we will see five necessary elements to grow in Christian maturity. Five necessary elements. We need these to grow in Christian maturity. So, uh, since this is very autobiographical, we would see uh, from verses 1 through verses uh, verse 11, uh, Paul as the accountant. I count, remember? I count, I count. Paul the accountant. Uh, and from verses uh, uh, 12 through 16, we see uh, Paul using the analogy of an intense race to describe the Christian life. So Paul the athlete, see? And from verses uh, uh, 17 through the end of the chapter, we see Paul as a sojourner. And I look. And that is very important for us to have in mind. And we will be studying from verses uh, 12 uh, through the end of the chapter this morning. And uh, the first element that we need in order to grow in Christian maturity is a godly dissatisfaction knowing we have not arrived yet. A godly dissatisfaction knowing we have not arrived yet. And that is how he starts in verse 12, the first part, and verse 13, the first part. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. Verse 13, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. 
So Paul starts with a double negative in order to correct any misunderstanding that the Philippians had about spiritual maturity in general, or even Paul's life in particular. Watch out for perfectionism. He's saying, literally, he's saying, not that I have been made perfect already. You know, his perfection, he knew he was still in the future. Paul tells them that even though he has counted all for loss for the sake of Christ, that doesn't mean he has arrived yet. He's not yet perfect. That is to say, he is not in his glorified state. And we understand he's talking about this because of verse 11. And there's a reference to the resurrection of the dead which suggests that this perfection will be only at the resurrection and this state he has not yet attained. So final perfection cannot be expected in this life. There is always room for progress while the church is in God's pilgrim, uh, pilgrimage. You know. um, so uh, you, we see how different... Uh, this thought is with what he thought before Christ of himself. If we read verses, chapter 3, verse 4 through verse 6, it says, Although myself uh, might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised at the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to seal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law. Found blameless. So this is how he saw himself before Christ. He thought he had it. Before Christ, he thought he had arrived. You know, I love this about the gospel. The gospel puts us all in the place we need to be. It shows us, the gospel shows us we have not arrived. And we need to keep on running. So this gives us hope. Hope. A godly dissatisfaction. Are you satisfied with yourself? You think you have arrived? You think you're perfect? There's always room for growth. We need to understand this. A mark of maturity is acknowledging the fact that we have not arrived yet. So we should be honestly and regularly evaluating ourselves and not comparing to others. Of course. And we need to be careful. Because there are times we can deceive ourselves about our spiritual state or our spiritual condition. Just like the church in Revelation. I know you studied Revelation. In Revelation 3 verse 1, the church at Sardis. You, the Lord said, you have a name that you're alive. But you're dead. <laughs> they were deceiving themselves. Uh, the church at Laodicea was proud of herself, saying, I'm wealthy. I have need of nothing. And the Lord saw that church as naked, wretched, miserable, poor, blind. Do not deceive yourselves. We have not arrived yet. That is an element we need in order to grow in spiritual maturity. But we can see a second element needed to grow. is a firm determination to know 
Christ even more. And we see that in verse, the second part of verse 12 uh, through verse 14. But I press on, it says, that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the fact that we have not arrived yet is no excuse for saying that way. We must grow in knowing Christ even more. That's why Paul says, I press on. But what thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward, stretching forward, I press on. Psalm 42, verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks. Pants for the water. And sometimes we, we think about deer, you know, we, we think, oh, that's a beautiful picture of a deer. Panting. No, 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 no. <gasps> Pants for the water brooks. So, so my soul. <sighs> Pants. For you, oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? We need to stop focusing on so many things. One thing I do, said Paul. And this reminds me again of the psalmist, Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing. I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek. One thing, one thing, one thing. We need to focus on one thing, knowing Christ even more. That's what we need to be focusing on every day. That's what we need to grow in spiritual maturity. Know Christ even more. So, my son, uh, just as Pastor Cliff was saying, he, he, uh, uh, he was part of the national team. He played baseball. Uh, uh, he got that from his mom, by the way. Oh, he, so he's good. Uh, so, you know, as he was growing, uh, older and as he was, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, practicing, uh, ball, you know, uh, he, um, uh, used to play, you know, in different positions, but he was good at the shortstop and he was good at pitching. So, so, so as he grew, you know, they trained him. To be a shortstop. They pray, they train him to be a pitcher, you know. And, and this is interesting because he was, he was being specialized in one position until he played it perfectly. So the athletes cannot be focusing on different things. They need to specialize on a particular thing to be good at it. The idea here is that Paul is saying, keep the eyes and the finishing line. Do not get distracted. And the finishing line is Christ himself. Keep your eyes on Christ. Forgetting, verse 13, what lies behind. It does not mean that we will totally erase something from our minds. That's impossible. So when Paul says forgetting what lies behind, he means that the past will not dominate him. His past glories or his past failures will not dominate him. He presses on 
He moves forward. He forgets what's behind uh, him. We cannot run a race looking back. We cannot run a race looking sideways. We need to look up front. Press on. Press on. Present tense. Two times he says this. Press on. It has the idea, you know what? Of an intense fight. Press on. Press on. This is not passive. A Christian life is not passive. You know, it's active. We press on. And this is a hunting word. Did you know? Hunting word. And it means I pursue. The Greeks use this word to describe a hunter chasing after his prey. I press on. Where's the problem? Where? Oh, there. There it is. I press on. I look for the prey. I'm hunting it. I'm pursuing it. It. And this same word is used in verse 6 to describe Paul before his conversion as a persecutor of the church. So, and you remember who Paul was, right? In the book of Acts, you read it. You read how much Paul persecuted the church. So before Christ, Paul was determined to chase down the church. But now, in Christ, he was determined to pursue Christ with a greater seal for his sanctification. So, brethren, just be careful not to be zealous about things that have no eternal value. Because there is no greater loss than to be successful in the things that have no value in eternity. So just be careful where your seal is. I read this in a book uh, by Piper. Well, well, he where 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 he uh, speaks about um, this uh, article he read, Reader's Digest, about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast. This. Uh, article was in February 1998. And it says, um, they took um, this couple, retired, took, um, uh, they, they, they moved from the northeast, and they, they lived by the time in Punta Gorda. They moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise a 30-foot trawler. They play softball. They collected shells. And they did that for their pastime, their living, you know. And they were looking for that retirement where they would play softball and collect shells. And that's, you know, it's interesting because some people are looking forward to having that kind of life. And it seems that Christians are with, with having that same mindset, collecting shells. So after you die and you go to meet the Lord, what are you going to say? Hey, Lord, see how many shells I got? Are you going to do that? Are you going to show him your shells? No. We press on. 
We focus on Christ. We want to know Him more. That's a tragedy. That's a life wasted. Brethren, don't waste your lives. Know Christ even more. I don't know about here. But there are so many Christians in my country that they have more zeal about politics, about sports, about entertainment, than about Christ. Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Press on. Press on till finishing the goal of knowing Christ more. To win Christ by knowing Him more, you will be more like Him. One thing I do, forgetting, stretching, reaching to know Christ more. So what can you do to pursue what is most important? What sin must you forsake? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? How are you spending your resources? You know, Paul, at the end of his life, 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 13. You know what he asked for? He asked for his books. Bring me my books. I want to know more of Christ. Bring me my books. Oh, that's amazing. That's what I want. I want to know Christ even more, more, more. Second element to grow in Christian maturity. And the third element. We need in order to grow in Christian maturity is a constant delighting in the gospel. We need to be delighted in the gospel. So Paul mentions now two phrases. See in verse 12 and verse 14, the, the second part of verse 14, second part of verse 12. It says, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That's verse 12. In verse 14, it says, I press on toward the gold for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul never, never lost sight of the gospel. <laughs> you know, we may think we need the gospel of grace only for salvation. But the reality is that we need the gospel of grace every day of our lives. So, our Christian maturity is directly related to the constant delighting on the gospel. So I press on until laying hold, laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That's in the passive voice. What does that mean? He looks at his conversion. Something Christ did for him. I was laid hold by Christ Jesus. Woo! When did that happen? Well, you studied it. Acts chapter 9. Yes. We see that conversion. His conversion there. The chief of sinners met the friend of sinners. Amazing, huh? He was, he was, he was going to chase down the church at Damascus. But he did not know the Lord was coming down to chase him. Well, that's just beautiful. And he never, never, never lost sight of that. He was, he was laid hold by Christ Jesus. So that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to make that his own possession. That was the purpose for which the risen Christ appeared to him. And he frankly confesses that the goal of his endeavor has not yet, not yet been completed. 
So his whole life was a pressing on to a future goal. And you know what's amazing? That the Lord Jesus Christ has laid hold of us too. This is his grace calling. His upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we have responded in repentance and faith to that calling. So we've been chosen by grace. We've been called by grace. We heard by grace. He saved us by grace. We're preserved by grace. We will be glorified by grace. And we will sing of His grace forever. Let's sing right now. I want to sing right now. We will sing of that grace forever. Amen? Amen. So there's no spiritual maturity apart from delighting in the gospel of grace. A fourth element necessary for us to grow in Christian maturity. After exhorting them in verse 15 and 16, 16 to have that same attitude. In verse 17 through verse uh, 19, he speaks about this intentional devotion to follow good examples. And that is something we need to be intentionally following have that devotion to follow good examples. In this letter, we see many examples. Paul sets himself himself as an example. In chapter 2, we see that. Uh, uh, chapter 2, we see uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, in chapter 2, we see the greatest example of all, Jesus Christ. And see in verse 17, it says, Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So he's telling them, look out for good examples. Look out for men who live out their faith and imitate them. That's what we need to be doing. Look out for men who are living out their faith. Imitate this man. But do not imitate bad examples. Because we can see there in verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping. These are enemies of the cross of Christ. Of course there were bad examples. Maybe Judaizers. Enemies of the cross among them. Wanting to add the law of Moses to the work of Christ. Making their, as we will read, their appetite a God. They would think they needed to be circumcised. And whatever was their glory was really their shame, whose end is destruction. So Paul wept, for he knew their end. These were not people who openly rejected the gospel. These were people who could even call themselves brothers. But their hearts were not changed. Their desires had not changed. Their affections had not changed. Their hearts were still on this earth. They looked up for their own glory. Their profession of faith was a fake one. Why? Because their end was destruction. Their God was their appetite. That means that they only looked up for their own satisfaction. 
but they thought they were believers. Is there anyone here that could be like this in such a group? You would be naive to think that you're all saved. There could be people here who think they're saved. But your desires, your affections, have not changed. Your heart is not a changed heart. You still love what the world loves. Your minds are here. Are not in, your minds are not in heaven, whose glory is in their shame. So they would glory, they would celebrate, they would enjoy what should have been shameful for them. Titus 1.16 says, speaking about people there, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Hmm. You know what? As Christian believers, we should not be tolerating sin. We should not be tolerating sin in our lives. We should not be worshiping the God of our appetite. You know why? Because there's a joy that exceeds everything. And that is the joy to know Christ. So if we know Him, if He's the, our biggest treasure, the pearl of great price, everything is going to fade away. No, 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 no. We have this, which is our greatest love. And there's a displacement of affections. I used to love these. No, 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 no. Now I love Christ. That's whom I love. And that's what Paul is saying. Watch out for the bad examples. Imitate the good examples. Because these people still have their minds, their minds, Unearthly things, it says. Their mind was a carnal mind. They didn't get excited about the gospel. They didn't get excited about Christ. They only got excited for things of this earth. So what does your conversation of each day says about you? What does your conversation day says about you. Where is your mind? Is your mind on earthly things? Or is your mind on heavenly things? So if we're a believer, we are, we're going to be struggling with this. And we know that for sure. But you will never be more like Christ if you spend all your time on Facebook. If you spend all your time on Twitter. If you spend you there, all your time on video games, you'll never be more like Christ. Oh yeah, I want to be more like Christ. You'll never be more like Christ. Never. We're never going to be more like Christ. We, do, we need to be intentionally following good examples. Avoiding bad examples. And finally, 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 
for the third time, finally. We need to make a daily decision to live out a true citizenship. A daily decision to live out our true citizenship. And that is in verse 20 and verse 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power He has even to subject all the things to Himself. Do we see the difference? There's a clear contrast here between the false teachers, the false believers, whose minds are set on earthly things, and the genuine believer whose mind is set in heaven. So we start with this four, this conjunction, four, that establishes the difference between those who were mentioned in verse 18 and 19, and now those who were mentioned in verse 20. So it would, it would say like this, it would go like this, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, for many walk who set their minds on earthly things. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us, for our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship. I love this word. We could translate it community. Our community is in heaven. And let's just remember, Philippi, was a Rome away from Rome. They're very, they're, you know, they were very proud of being uh, 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 Roman citizens. And it's interesting, in verse chapter 1, verse 27, Paul told them, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now he reminds them, that the church is a colony of the kingdom of heaven. So whenever people look at their lives, they should look. Their lives should point them to heaven. When people looked at their lives, at the Philippians' lives, their lives should point people to heaven. The same with us. The same with us. When people look at our lives, our lives should point them to heaven. The Philippians were really proud. Of being a Roman colony, remember? They feel p- proud of having this Roman citizenship. And Paul is saying that's nothing compared to having a heavenly citizenship. I need that citizenship so I can enter heaven. You know, it's amazing that we are in the missions, uh, uh weekend. Week. And in order to get here, I had to bring my Honduran passport. But most important than getting here is getting back. I need my passport to get back. If not, I will not get back to my family. If not, I will not get back home. One day, we will not need passports. Because my citizenship is not from here from heaven. Now, we will not need passports anymore. That's what Paul was reminding them of. Just remember, live in light of your true citizenship. 
That's a decision you have to make every day. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship uh, exists in heaven. And that verb just emphasizes the permanence in heaven. It's the place where the heavenly city is. Our names are written in heaven. We're sitting in the heavenlies with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We're aliens and strangers. Now Abraham, he was waiting for a better country. In Hebrews it says, because he was waiting for that better country, he was okay to live in this tent. Moses was waiting for the heavenly reward. That's why he did not care for the passing pleasures of sin. Since we're citizens of heaven, we should be speaking differently. You know, when, when you see, uh, uh, someone, uh, when you come to, to the U.S., uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. Well, it happens in every place, but you come to, to America and then you, you, you hear this so many different accents that you can know where this person is from, right? Uh, uh, let's say uh, if you hear someone uh, saying, uh, uh, would you like a cup of tea, you know, uh, uh, a glass of water? Oh, 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 no, 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 you're not American. You're not American. You're British, right? So, so I've heard some uh, other people say, oh, howdy, howdy, how y'all doing? Oh, so, so I know you're not from the West Coast. That's for sure. And the same thing happens with Spanish, you know. Ops, andale, andale, andale. No, pues, como le diga para acá. Oh, you guys, you guys are from Mexico. Of course, we know where you're from. So when people hear us speak, they should know, hey, 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 you guys are not from here, right? Of course not. Our citizenship is in heaven. By the words we speak, by how we speak. This is a decision we make daily in our lives. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. That's what the Lord says. First John 4, 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We're from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. You know, they should recognize us by the way we speak. But they should recognize us by the way we live also. People should see the way we live as husbands, wives, parents, children, as workers. They should see the way we live. Say, okay. You're not from here. You, you, of course, I know you're not from here. You smell like heaven. I don't want people smelling you and say, you smell like sulfur. We should smell like heaven. 
we should leave in such a way, such a fragrance to all those that the Lord has chosen. So that's how we need to conduct ourselves. If we're going to grow in maturity, we must understand that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. See, as Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did more for this present world were the ones that thought more about the world to come. It is since Christians have seized thinking about the world to come, that they have become some so ineffective in this present one. So we can persevere when going through difficulties, when going through trials of this world, by having that wonderful reality in mind, this is not my home. This is not my home. We must be living like citizens of heaven and earth, eagerly waiting, says the verse, for a Savior. It says, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From which? From which? It speaks about the, the, the heavenly community. From this heavenly community, Christ, the Savior, the Savior will show up. <laughs> you know, it's funny that if the Philippians were in trouble, they knew, they knew that from Rome, they would find their deliverance. But now, as citizens of heaven, they understood that from the heavenly community would come the Savior, the deliverer of their souls. So we eagerly wait, he says, the a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it literally says, from which also Savior we wait. No article there. No article. Which means it would emphasize his character. His character as a, as a savior. Savior coming from that community. So we eagerly wait for him. Eager, I, and I love this. Eagerly wait. Eagerly wait. And you know what? It just reminds me. Whenever I come back from a trip, my family's waiting for me. The airport. And when they see me, even though there's a door, you know, a, a glass door, they would run. They would run through customs, you know, to go and hug me. They don't care if I brought them anything or not. Well, later they do. But they just want to hug me. They just want to hug me. Because they've missed <sighs> eagerly wait. Are we eagerly waiting for that moment? Are we eagerly waiting for a Savior? Are we eagerly waiting for that day? Romans eight nineteen. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans eight twenty three. Even even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly. The redemption of our body. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we groan. Our bodies groan. You know why? Because we do not belong to this place. That's why we groan. Yes, 
with our sicknesses. We're grown because we don't belong here. We don't belong here. So any trial you're going through right now, just remember, if you're in Christ, you don't belong here. We're not waiting for signs in the heavens. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. The Lord Jesus Christ. His full, complete name. The promised Messiah. The Lord. Caesar was not Lord. He, he, he could have thought he was. He even tried to steal that title. Establishing a kingdom where people would worship him. But that's nothing compared to the coming of the King of, of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when he comes, he will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Transform the body of our humble state. That's a precious hope we have. And that should motivate us. We're godly, Christ-honoring, living. Because we have the best news. You know what? We will get new glorified bodies. And that is a joy. Because of the cross. Because of Christ. We will worship Him with new bodies. That will not decay. New bodies. That will not be under any eye problems. We will see Him clearly. No eye problems. That's beautiful. Huh? And you, and you know why we will get new bodies? In order to worship Him with it, without any hindrance. We'll get new bodies. In order to worship Him without anything that would stop us from doing it with our hearts, with our bodies. Dio Moody said, you will soon read in the papers that I have died. Huh. But do not believe that for a second. For I will be more alive than ever before. You know, death is just the door for a real life. And that is because of Christ. We'll, our bodies will be transformed in conformity with the body of His glory. Into conformity of Christ's body in His glorified state. Alvar Bing then suffers under the curse of Genesis 3. So we groan for a new body without sin. And Christ can transform us. You know why? Well, here in the text it says, by the exertion of the power he has to subject all things to himself. If Christ subjects, if he has the power to subject all things to himself, he can easily transform our bodies. That's beautiful. Subject means to put a group of soldiers under a superior authority. Everything's got to be under his authority. How glorious to think that one day we will have those resurrected bodies. Living with resurrected brothers and sisters in a resurrected earth with a resurrected Savior. 
So our heavenly citizenship should drive us to live better on this earth. We are not attracted by the things of this world as believers. We live by eternal values. And since one day we will be transformed. And we know that that day all this will be of no value. Then why don't we start today? Why don't we start today? In the poem, The Odyssey, if you have read it, of Homer, um, we read about the journey of Odysseus, or Ulysses, or Ulysses, I don't know how you pronounce it, to the island of Ithaca, to see uh, Penelope. And it was a dangerous trip. So he went to see Circe, to know how he would... uh, 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 how he could, he could complete his trip. And Circe, she warns him that he will pass through by the island of the sirens. These were monsters who pretended to be beautiful women with amazing voices. And they would try to entertain the sailors with their beautiful melodies. But what they really wanted, the sirens, what they really wanted, was for their ship to wreck so they could kill them. So the answer to this uh, was, okay, uh, Odysseus, you need to put bee walks in their ears, in the sailors' ears, so they would not hear the melodies of the sirens. But if you want to hear the melody, which is a beautiful melody, then you have to be tied up to the mast. So that's what he did. And he told the sailors, okay, ear walks in your ears. Uh, a, bee, uh, a bee walks in your ears. And tie me up to the mast. And if I tell you, untie me, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I want to listen to the melody, but don't untie me. Don't untie me. So he was tied. You know what that? That's legalism. Sometimes we think that Christian maturity is about legalism. Sometimes we think that Christian maturity is about, is about do's, a list of do's and don'ts. But Christian maturity is not about that. <laughs> On the other hand, also Greek mythology. We have Orpheus. It's another mythological hero. And you know what? He also had to pass by the island of the sirens in the quest to recover the golden fleece. And he, do you know what he did to solve this problem? You know, he was a musician. So what he did to solve that problem with the sirens, whose melody was beautiful, was to play with his lyre a melody that was even more beautiful than the one of the sirens. That is the gospel, brothers and sisters. The gospel of grace is about hearing and knowing Christ. Hearing His voice. Knowing His person. Which is way more beautiful than the melody of the world. 
It's not about do's or don'ts. It's about knowing Christ. You want to grow in Christian maturity? Know Christ. And every other song from the world or from your own flesh will fade away because of the beauty of Him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So we saw five elements to grow in Christian maturity. A godly dissatisfaction knowing we have not arrived yet. A firm determination to know Christ even more. A constant delighting in the gospel. An intentional devotion to follow good examples. And a daily decision to live out our true citizenship. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this wonderful morning. Where you have showed us through scripture, Lord. How we can grow in maturity. Lord, we need you. We desperately need you. We cannot walk out of this place thinking we can do it because we cannot. Apart from Christ, Lord, we cannot. So we need the gospel. We need Christ every day in our lives. We need Christ to overcome. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for providing for the greatest need our soul had. And through Christ, we can find peace. Through Christ, we can find real purpose. Through Christ, we can find joy in the midst of this fallen world. Lord, there are people here whose end is destruction. Their citizenship is not in heaven. So I beg you, Lord, open their eyes. Grant them repentance and faith. May they come to you. May they come to see the greatest love in Christ. The greatest treasure in Christ. May they see the beauty of the Savior. And surrender their lives to Him. Thank you for this morning, Lord. May our hearts be stirred up. To grow in the likeness of Christ. Through the gospel of Christ. Grace. In Him we pray. Amen.